Now I want to go back to the um, Iraq then versus now. Yeah. So I, I feel like uh, Schwarzkopf was um, MacArthur. And I'm not sure who was Truman. I don't know if it was Bush Sr. or, um, well, actually, I guess at that point, it had just become Clinton. Because 90 was the, um, November of 90 was the election. January 20th would have been inauguration. So it is like right there at the edge. But anyway, yeah. I, so I don't know if it was Powell or the White House, whomever, you know, was was there. Um, but I know Schwarzkopf wanted to go into uh, all the way to the capital of Iraq. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't he wanted to go to Baghdad. He did not want to stop. He wanted to take um, knucklehead out of power. And I kind of feel like that would have been I don't like what we did with Afghanistan and Iraq at the same mm-hmm. time. I felt it was too much destabilization. I felt at that point, we needed to focus on Afghanistan. We knew what we had in Iraq. We could isolate it, no big deal. However, I feel like had we allowed Schwarzkopf to do what he wanted, maybe take him out of power in Baghdad, then the the rest of the region was very stable and i think you probably could have had a much more stable form of government in there that would have been much more us friendly without everything else all the other distractors going on you didn't have syria going on you don't have yemen um you didn't have afghanistan you didn't have any of that nonsense so i feel like that would have been the right time to take care of Iraq. And then who knows, does nine 11 actually happen at that point or, or not? I don't know, but I mean, what are your thoughts? You said you did some international studies. <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, I think regardless of what we did in the middle East, uh, a nine, <clears throat> a nine 11 was bound to happen. Um, I, I think to speak to to your thoughts on if we had gone all the way, if we had finished the job the first time in Iraq, I believe you're 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 alluding yeah. to. Yes, I think in the region at the time there were multiple hot spots. Um, they weren't just as well known. They were the initial stages, like Yemen um, and Somalia. Um, the entire Middle East was not stable i don't i don't i don't think that's the word to describe it um but i feel like if we had done what we did in the second iraq war we would have had the same results where because in a lot of these international situations you anytime you eliminate the the government the standing government you're going to get what's called a power vacuum and people are going to try and take control uh, outside, outside, uh, outside, outsiders are going to try and take control. Um, we saw in the most recent Gulf War with the insurgents just trying to come in. Um, the reason for that is because of the borders there that were drawn all those years ago. 
you have a certain religious sect that occupies territory across two different countries. You have another religious sect that occupies territory in a different, uh, you know, in, in, in a different country. And those two religious sects also reside in the same country. Um, so, so you, you're, you're bound to just constantly have problems with unstable, if governments are unstable over there. If they're not stable governments, um, you're always going to have insurgents. So as much of a madman as Saddam Hussein was, um, keeping him in power without uh, a replacement, basically what I, how I feel staved off what happened in the most recent Iraq war. We would have, we would have had that same thing happen, uh, in the nineties instead of in the two thousands. Um, because we still had governments that were supporting extremism and terrorism at that time. And they would have still done the same thing, I believe. Um, so, by by not going full force in the initial Gulf War, I think we just uh, kind of staved off the inevitable. The inevitable. I think I think what happened in the most recent Gulf War was going to be inevitable. Um, it was going to turn into a mess. We could have we could have done that differently. We could have gone in and assassinated um, Uday Kusay and Saddam. You know. And then seeing what happens, but unless you have a, a government ready to install, there's always going to be uh, a power vacuum. There's always going to be the outside influences coming in. Yeah, I, I, and I totally agree with that. But I think the difference is, at the time, the whole region was so up in arms against Iraq for what they did to Kuwait mm. <clears throat> that you had that support you needed. And I feel like, look, I'm no fan of Saudi Arabia. I'm not yeah. saying that, that they are our ally per se, but, you know, they, they were a big part of that coalition. And I feel like they would have filled a lot of that vacuum. And they, we didn't have, we would not have had to have hung around the way we did this time mm. because we didn't have the support this time that we had then. And, you know, Kuwait, the government of Kuwait, the government of Saudi Arabia, those other countries, I feel like they would have filled that vacuum, which would have allowed us because look, that's the, the big, the big thing at the time, the optic was they wanted Kuwait soldiers going in. They wanted Saudi soldiers being right up front. They wanted all of that showing that, you know, these were Middle Eastern countries somewhat policing themselves with the support of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like they would have filled that vacuum. And later, I, I, and again, I agree that at some point there still would have been a 9-11. Mm -hmm. Who knows if it would have been 2001, maybe it was 2005. But um, at that point, you just have that one, hopefully you just have that one issue to deal with. But that's where I, 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 you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look back, going, I wonder how that would have changed things. I think, I think, I think the 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 key player you mentioned Saudi Arabia. I'm going to mention Iran. The key player here 
the the wild card in that region has always been Iran. You know, if if uh, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, establishes dominance in the region by filling that power vacuum, Iran feels threatened and now needs to to act accordingly. You know, so it's always there's always going to be some uh, instability in that region until. I don't know until they redraw the lines, until they redraw the borders, uh, you know, w- which yes. will never happen. <laughs> yes, I mean Iran was already—they've um, always been a big player in the terrorism game. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember too, now they—they they just got out of a war with Iraq, and they—they they took neither one of them won. They both took a beating. Um, so I don't think Iran physically was in a position to threaten anybody else. That's where I think that the government Iraq could have been stabilized a little bit more without Hussein um, in power and we wouldn't have had to have hung around. But yeah, Iran is always, always going to be a thorn in our side until we definitively do something to shut them up. They fund everything. They fund all of the yes, terrorist groups in, in, in the region. So Yes, they do. So I can't believe Biden's letting them sell oil. Ridiculous. So so oil, we, we didn't we give them? Uh, wasn't there uh, something during the Obama administration? We gave them uh, a few billion dollars. <laughs> just just gave them some of our paychecks. Yeah, just put them <laughs> on cargo planes and flew it over. That was nice. Yeah. Oh, it was their money anyway. No, it isn't. They yeah. still look. Look, they will forever owe us for the Beirut bombing. So, as far as I'm concerned, they they'll that debt will never be paid in full, and unless certain things happen. Yeah. Never. Right. So, you got out in 2000, and then it seems like you've had uh, quite the adventure since you got out. It's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. Now, what what was the, of all those things you listed, like when when you got out, did you have anything lined up or you're like, you know, I'm, I'm done with the, I'm, I enjoyed my time in the Marines, but I'm done. I'm getting out. Did you have anything lined up or were you just playing it by ear? I was, uh, my main goal was to get back into college and finish those last two years. Um, I... So I did that, but I didn't finish. I ended up uh, having to drop out because I couldn't afford college. Um, I was under the pre-9-11 GI Bill, and I, after putting $100 a month of my paycheck for four years into that GI Bill, I was only able to get out uh, $175 a quarter, and that was wow. supposed to yeah, that was supposed to pay for my four thousand dollar tuition and my three hundred dollars in books and my hundred and seventy five in parking and you know, so I dropped out because I couldn't afford it. Um, that's when I ended up for about eight years or so working on films, uh, doing the bodyguarding and doing the firearms instruction for a little bit longer until I could um until I thought I'd saved up enough money to come back to school. So I went back to school and tuition had increased a couple more thousand a quarter. Um, so I eventually 
started taking out loans and stuff, finished, finished the degree and, uh, went directly into my master's and, and finished off there. All right. So that how was, did you, how did you get into firearms instruction, bodyguarding and movie um, advising? So I think it, st it started with the, um, with firearms instruction. I worked out at front site as an instructor mm -hmm. in front site, Nevada. Okay. And I, I was uh, an instructor and or range master in everything they have out there, including the ropes and rappel tower. Um, I developed their, redeveloped their precision rifle course. Um, and that is where I was tasked with training an actor that was going to be playing a Marine Scout sniper in a film. That's the only information I got. Hey, can you come out this weekend and train an actor for a movie? Um, so I put together a little three-day boot camp for, uh, it ended up being Mark Wahlberg, uh, the producers, and the director Antoine Fuqua came out and um, just put him through the ringer for three days. And they were pretty impressed with what I was able to do. So they invited me on as uh, a technical advisor on the film Shooter. And I spent a year, about a year and a half working on that pre-production, location scouts, um, principal photography. We filmed in Canada, Philly, D.C., Baltimore, L.A., and then a little bit in post-production as well. Wow. And, yeah. And then having been in the, in the, in the film industry at that point, I was in L.A. and uh, was referred to people uh as a bodyguard or a personal trainer or somebody that could train you up for your film where you're going to be shooting some guns um and at the time my dad and his SWAT buddy they were former SWAT guys at uh San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's up here um had started an executive protection company so I helped them kind of put that company together and we had a few clients um doing the VIP protection. And then since I had my guard card, I offered my services in Hollywood and started working basically self-employed as a bodyguard while trying to find more work on films while also working as a firearms instructor for a place called defensive firearms training. One of the instructors at front site and I, well, not I, and I, he went on to form a new company called Defensive Firearms Training. And this might be a name that you might be familiar with. Do you know who Rudy or Rudolph Waldinger is? He was a international revolver competition shooter. Hmm. Austrian-American. Okay. I think he placed second or won the international revolver competition one year. Um he was an instructor out of front site. He started defensive firearms training. So for the next 10 years or so, I worked for him uh, as his precision rifle instructor. And uh, I taught a few other courses as well um, on and off site uh, while I was searching for more work in the film industry and, and uh, working as executive protection. Now, did that work with uh, Mark Wahlberg? Did that lead to any other? Movies, any more advising? Not directly through him or the director, which I thought uh, would happen. But 
through some connections I made and friends that I eventually made, I got to work on, um, you know, the original sniper film with Tom Berenger is like a 10 movie series. Now. Um, I think that I, th I think they're working on the 10th one now. Um, I worked on the fifth installment, which I think during filming was called ghost shooter and is now called legacy or, you know, um, and so I got to work with the iconic Tom Berenger on the iconic sniper film. That was really cool. I, I had just happened to make friends with Tom Berenger through somebody I met on the set of shooter and I'm still friends with, um, uh, my friend David, and he's he's good buddies with Tom Berenger. Well, Tom got asked to do another sniper film and said, I, you know, mentioned to the producers, I don't want to do it unless there's a military advisor involved because there always seems to be something wrong, you know, something not authentic or legitimate or whatever. And uh, so he he uh, thought it'd be a good idea to bring me on. And and uh, that was that was excellent that was a uh, we filmed in greece we filmed in bulgaria uh that was a that was a fun project to work on but no i nothing ever resulted from working on shooter uh, just just connections of connections you know it's not what you know it's who you know in, in that industry yes. so absolutely yeah that's why i thought maybe it would lead to more with i mean those are pretty big names so you know, during that time, uh, what, what after sh I had such an awesome experience working on Shooter, you know, the first time where I had felt like I had been able to showcase all of my skills as a scout sniper in a positive way, you know, and I wanted to share that feeling with, you know, other service members transitioning out of the military. So my dream at that point was to start an agency to place uh, recently transitioned veterans into the film industry, whether it be as uh, security or background actors or military technical advisors or even actors. But right at that time, the writers went on strike. That, and then after that, the actors went on strike. And then after that, the economy went through the floor. Went on strike. And yeah, and I'm 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 this one person, new person in this small niche in a small industry, and just after three years of spinning those wheels, I decided to just cut cut loose and get back to school, and that's when I eventually ended up finishing my bachelor's degree. I thought I'd saved up enough money at that point to go back to school, but that was not the case. So I took out loans. And that was a wild, uh, you know, decade and a half there of very strange experiences. <laughs> fun, I'm sure. Yeah, it was fun. It was definitely an adventure. Now, yeah, and it is um, Sniper Legacy. Legacy, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, I have a T-shirt that says that says Ghost Shooter, and uh, from when we were in Santorini. So, uh, they, I guess they changed the name on that. I was kind of upset about that one. The, the, if if I may just real quickly sure. here, it's very tough working on those as a technical advisor because you're trying to get some authenticity to add some validity to the character, and and everything looks like it's going great during filming, and then and then in post production they don't bring you back for editing, and 
when you this is this is I'm going to break down why there are such huge mistakes in some military films. Mm. Um, the actors, you know, will film a scene. Maybe they have a line or two with the supporting actor. They're going to film that line or two from five different angles, give five different takes from all those five different angles. So you've had you've you've spit out the same scene, same same two lines, uh, at least thirty times before you move on to the next scene the next whatever and during those 25 30 takes the actor's going to make some mistakes maybe they had their finger on the trigger when they shouldn't have maybe they didn't have their finger on the trigger when they should have well my job is to jump on set in between takes and be like okay you had your finger on the trigger in this scene you, you should have your finger not on the trigger or uh you did it this way you should do it that way next and then the rest of the takes they do it like that maybe they make another mistake on something else later on you correct them on that and then they do it right well, the director, when they're making the final cut, has all these 30 takes to make a choice from of what he wants to insert into that scene. And he's taking into consideration the lighting, the focus of the camera, the fact that the actor didn't mess up their lines, and not taking into consideration whether it was a mistake that the military advisor had to correct. So at the beginning of, this is great, at the beginning of Sniper Legacy, there's a sniper and, and observer setup scene where all hell is breaking loose. I'm actually in the scene. I get shot, and I had to do my own stunts. It was really cool. But, uh, but in the final cut, the sniper looks over at the observer and says, range me, and the female observer looks at her wind gauge and gives him the range. And then he says, what's the wind? And she looks through the spotting scope and gives him a wind call. <laughs> she did that on the first take. And I explained to her, look, when he says range, look through the scope. When he says wind, look at your wind gauge or do something like that or whatever. And she, and she did the rest of the takes correctly but because the director was a dingbat, didn't didn't have me back to look at the final edit, he put that take in the in the scene because it had good lighting or good whatever. And so now there's this female Marine Scout sniper observer that's looking at the wind gauge, giving a range correction, and looking at the spotting scope, giving a wind call. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. So it doesn't matter how hard you work on these films, unless you have full control over what goes to final final cut uh there's going to be mistakes like that <laughs> that's actually so a very good yeah that's a very good insight though because at least at least now i feel a little better no okay so i i don't watch that brand of movies because yeah. of the errors that are in them but it's actually nice hearing that, you know, on the back end, it, there was an attempt to get it right. It just didn't make the final cut. Now, now here's something. Yeah, maybe, yeah. So it looks like Sniper 5 is called Legacy. Sniper 6 is called Ghost Shooter. Hmm. They must have done something with the titles there. Because I, I have a t-shirt that have. says Ghost Shooter Santorini with, with the logo. And then, yeah, right before it released, I remember uh, Sniper Legacy. I have the DVD. But that's weird. They must have, yeah. you know, sometimes 
there's something going on in the real world at the time that's going to cause them to make a decision like that. Maybe there was like a shooting situation in real life and they didn't want, they didn't feel comfortable with the title of the movie being ghost shooter at that time, but later on did. Mm, right. uh, that's, that's the only thing I can explain for that. Huh? Yeah, it's possible. So who knows? But yeah, it looks great like group of actors. Oh, okay. How was it yeah. working with uh, Tom Berenger? So he had a very limited role in the movie. Um, you know, it was it, it was funny. He is a military historian. He even schooled me up on some one World War One battles over a beer or two one night. Um, he so he comes on set after we've been filming for a while, and you know Don Michael Paul is the director. He has all these young actors and for some reason he wants them running everywhere. He always wants them running across the scene, running across the scene. They've got these big long guns and big packs and drag bags. And, you know, he wants them sprinting through the scene and, you know, how, and, and I'm always getting asked, how would a scout sniper do this? And I'm like, well, they wouldn't be running, you know, they wouldn't be sprinting through the scene. He's like, well, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make it intense. So I'm going to have them run. Okay. We'll have them run. So we've got all these actors running through a scene, carrying these big long guns, tripping and falling and stuff, you know? And I'm like, well, this is why we don't run unless you really, really have to. Tom Berenger comes on set and Don Michael Paul goes, okay, we want you to, you're chasing this this uh, sniper here who actually turns out to be his character's son. And he finds out is all oh, you're chasing this sniper here and you got to run through these bushes and stuff. And Tom Berenger looks at him after I've been saying this for months, looks at him and says, why am I running with this long gun? Like we don't do scout snipers. Don't, you know, run sprinting with their long guns for no reason. We stalk. And so Tom Berenger got his way. He's the only actor in the film that walks through his scene. Everybody else is running with these big old guns. And he's the only one that's just stalking stealthily through his scene. <laughs> so wow. it was a lot of it was a lot of fun, you know, after filming or after set, you know, uh, sharing a beer with him after set was always uh, the fun part of, of Tom Berenger because we got we got into some good conversations. But the rest so, of the actors, they, they, uh, it was a young group of kids, quite a, f uh, a few Brits and, uh, Chad Michael Collins is, uh, Chad Michael Collins is the lead actor and he's, so he takes over the franchise from Tom Berenger. He's, uh, the Tom, he, he's that, that character, Thomas Beck, Thomas Beck, I think is, uh, he's Thomas Beck's son and goes on and carries the storyline. Billy Zane's in that one too. He makes Billy Zane like makes a couple appearances in some of these movies too. He's in a few. I know he was in the original and then he was in the third one or something. And then he comes back and makes another appearance in the sixth one, I believe. So it's, it's quite the franchise. Yeah. And it does look like there's going to be a 10th one. So yeah. Number 10, keep it going. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So what, what do you do after, after all that, you get your degree. Now you're a, you said a financial, go, I'm not even going to try again. Yeah. Close enough. A uh, compliance officer in the investment compliance. banking industry. Yeah. 
I was okay. uh, while I was while I was putting myself through school, I was working as a personal trainer, and um, someone in one of my classes, her husband was a compliance officer for a couple broker dealers in Kansas City, and needed some assistance. And uh, she thought, with my attention to detail, I might be a good fit. And he eventually thought. I might be a good fit, not just to assist him, but to become a compliance officer. So I took all of the investment banking industry exams, like the, the securities invest, the securities individual exam, um, the securities essentials exam, whatever that was called, the series 79, the series 63, the series 24, and then uh, ended up getting hired as a compliance officer and working as um, a cyber cybersecurity professional for these broker dealers because my master's was in uh, national security studies. My focus was in cybersecurity. So I finally put one of my degrees to good use. <laughs> um, it, it seems like a whole bunch of computer time and office time. It seems like a yeah. far cry from your beginnings. <sighs> it's such a... Huh such a different life I'm living right now that not, not, not outside of, you know, uh, away from the laptop. Uh, I'm pretty much the same, but it's very weird. All my life I've been outdoors uh, doing pretty adventurous stuff for work. And now here I am staring at a laptop screen <laughs> inside <laughs> all day. So it's a, it's been a bit of a change, but uh, it's very interesting work. Uh, I'm enjoying it and it's real challenging and yeah, everybody, everybody I tell that to who knows my background, they just kind of go, you're what <laughs> you're doing what, <laughs> you know, yeah. no, no background in, in accounting or economics or anything like that. But, you know, as most, most people that have our backgrounds, you know, in, in a specialized unit in the military, it takes kind of certain kind of person to be in that type of unit and go through that grueling process and not give up. And you'll, I think you'll find that a lot of people like that, that have been, that have had similar experiences like that can, you know, find enjoyment in doing pretty much anything. You know, I, I could have gone the route of becoming a competition shooter and going into law enforcement and being a police officer and, you know, it could, have, it could have gone any of those routes, but, you know, here we are uh, as a, in, you know, a compliance officer in the investment banking industry, no, nowhere near my wheelhouse uh, whatsoever, but am able to put on my camouflage and blend in, blend right in. Uh, so that's, I, I attribute those skills to uh, the skills I learned in those, in those schools I was in, in the military specifically marine scout sniper school you know that that those types of schools prepare you for what you you know a lot of the ex extremes that you might encounter in life and that certainly helped me uh jump industries here and uh be flourishing in an industry that i had no business being in to begin with you know so it's a bummer that those types of schools those types of instructors are going by the wayside because they do teach valuable lessons yeah they really do a lot of leadership being lost there. Yes. So do you see yourself uh, doing anything ever again in the 
long gun or short gun realm? If anybody wants to sponsor me, I'll jump into some competitions. <laughs> <laughs> Just in, 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 in my area, what I do is I stay proficient with my self-defense weapon systems. Um, and I keep up on my skills, uh, the repelling, the shooting, staying in shape. Um, I would love to get into long gun competition shooting, but the optics, the gun, the ammo, it's a lot of money that I feel could be spent better elsewhere. You know, if, 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 if anybody would be interested in sponsoring me, I, I know the exact route to go and, and what to do and all the questions to ask and who to ask them. And I'd probably be a, a, a fairly decent competitor. Um, but I'm not looking to jump into something like that without any type of sponsorship. Yeah. Do you know Phil Vallejo? I met him when we did our 20 year reunion a few years ago, uh, down at Pendleton. He showed us around the armory. Um, I didn't get to have any like personal conversations with him, but great guys down there. I mean, those guys, very mature, very young and very mature, uh, gentlemen there was very impressed. Well, and he, um, he got to start just like you did. He was at ITS. I don't know if it was SOI at that time or, or what, but same thing. He got lucky and was able to take the NDOC right oh, wow. out of ITS. Like it was really weird because his story almost parallels yours, but years later, like they did it again. Yeah. Um, but when the reason I bring him up is when he got out, he took a sizable loan in order to buy all this equipment to get into competition and the training mm. game. It, it eventually paid off, but it was a, you know, it was a, a, a sizable risk. I don't want to give the amount cause I could be wrong, but he said it in one of his podcast episodes. That's how yeah. I know. I was like, Holy cow. So that's, that's what's prevented me because I, I, I mean, I can estimate what that number is and that's just not something I'm not something I'm going for. And, and, you know, for you're getting recognition and it's your sport. I understand. And, you know, it is for some people, it's just not on, on my list of priorities. I've, I did the scouts. I did the cruise serve weapons scout sniper competition when I was in and, um, you know, we did really well at that and I've done one, I, I want, I got into a local competition at the Hogue action range up here with my shotgun. Cause I wanted to see how proficient I was shooting lefty with that. Um, but, and, and those are fun, but I just don't see the reward other than hearing that ting at a thousand yards or further, uh, which I do miss, but I, I think I could, uh, I could go hear that ting uh, for much cheaper than uh, becoming a competition shooter. <laughs> yeah. Now you, all, res you were... all, re all respect to those guys, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned that you, you upkeep your use of your defensive guns, but it seems like, to me, that's getting harder and harder in California. Yes? Yes. Yeah, I usually, if I want to make sure, if, if I want to make sure my long guns held at zero and everything, um, or or keep up on my skills, I usually have to go to somebody's property. There's, um, 
not very many ranges near me that are of a thousand yards or anything that I'd like to play on. And the ones that are your, your movement is very regulated. You can't just show up and shoot, set up some unknown distance targets. It's, you know, usually a range that I wouldn't approve of, you know, having been a, an instructor on ranges for so many years, these are ranges that, the only thing I can think of when I'm at, at them is how I would make them better, you know, <laughs> but I understand it's, it's just different in California. Um, and that goes for all the indoor ranges here as well. The things that I like to do with handguns, they don't allow you to do at indoor ranges. I like to do some ambidextrous stuff, running while shooting, you know, shooting from awkward positions uh, practicing malfunction clearances while on the run and then re-engaging the target, you know, weapons transitions from righty to lefty, shotgun to handgun. And they don't let you do that stuff at these ranges. So I usually have to wait till it's not fire season out here, go find some spot way out in the middle of nowhere, set up some clay pigeons and some pallets and uh, go practice all my stuff that, that, they don't let you do, you know, like if I go shooting with friends, I get a lot of weird looks. There was a clay, clay pigeon is something I've never got into. I don't understand. It's very easy. I don't understand how people miss. Um, I show up with a handgun and wait till somebody misses and then draw and shoot their clay with the handgun and then shoot one of the two pieces that it breaks into and then holster before it hits the ground. And people look at me funny. Like, how did you, you know, we just, thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds, you know, but they don't, they don't you can't. So most people don't invite me to go shooting <laughs> in California. <laughs> most of my California people don't invite me to go shooting. I'm sure there's people elsewhere that would love me to come shooting with them. <laughs> How far are you from um, front sight? So that was a seven hour drive for a normal person. Yeah. It usually took me about five. I was, you're going through the middle of the desert, you know, go as fast as you want. Were you aware it sold? Um, is that recent? Yeah, very recent. Okay. I didn't, I was not aware of that. Um, I left there on not good terms. A lot of the instructors were not getting their paychecks for months at a time. And, uh, multiple lawsuits on the original owner because he had some fraudulent activities with some of the investors monies. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I left cause I hadn't gotten a paycheck the entire time I was working on shooter. Um, they, they had, they had worked as my agent and got, and you know, when, when Paramount pictures, after I did the three day boot camp at front site, Paramount Pictures called Front Sight to acquire me as a technical advisor, and Front Sight acted as my agent, and then said, "Hey, called me up and said, hey, you have this opportunity. You want to go work on this movie? Um, they're offering this amount, and and uh, I said, all right. Um, and I I never received a paycheck from then on from Front Sight. So the the production company was sending Front Sight the money for me and then front site was not paying me uh, so i was living in canada for the whole year working in vancouver and on that film 
were living off of the per diem that luckily I, we had we had negotiated. I was getting like I don't know sixty dollars a day or something for meals, so I was living off of the per diem. And the production company was nice enough to pay me as a costume designer because I made all the ghillie suits. So I made a little extra money on the side there, but came back to America after working on that film. You know, where are my paychecks? You guys haven't paid me in like six months. And uh, uh, just got the runaround. And eventually after, you know, I, I was still teaching classes there. I was teaching for another couple months before I just, you know, found out from a lot of the other instructors that they weren't receiving their paychecks either. And I was just, time to get out of here. Wow. You know. Yeah, well, they, they, it was... Well, so you Very know, it actually went into bankruptcy, yeah, and yeah. and was purchased out of bankruptcy. So, but did you also know that Barrett was sold? Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know either till I got back from Shot Show. But apparently, while I was at Shot Show, I want to say the day I met Ronnie um, was the day it was finalized, and some Australian company bought him. What? Yeah, man. I was like, oh, Whoa, that's like blasphemy. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, man. I had, I had no idea. Wow. Now, no. you ever go to, do you know who Taryn Butler is? Yes, yes. Uh, Taryn Tactical down in, uh, yeah. he trains actors as well. Yeah, I didn't know if maybe you'd ever been down to his range. I have not met him. Um, I did try to get on that show that he was on quite a few times, Top Shot, but um, every time I went down for an interview, I never made it beyond the interview part. Um, oh, I don't wow. know. What, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I send in my video. It was like five years in a row, and I, and I kept going down there and doing, doing – and I – I kept yelling at the screen during every season too. Why, why are people missing their target? I don't understand why people are missing their targets. It's called top shot. Uh, it was very frustrating to uh, not, not get on that show and uh, watch how people would compete on that show. But he did really well. I think he did really well. And, um, I don't think he was training. Was he training actors prior to being on top shot? I think that's I what made him know. famous. I think so too, but I, I don't know. Well, as a competition shooter, he gained some fame, but then he eventually went on Top Shot, and then I think he opened up Taran Tactical and started training actors and stuff. Right, and that's where his name's really exploded. Mm -hmm. So, because, I mean, now you've had Keanu and and others yeah. there from the John Wick series of movies to train, and so, yeah, it's kind of exploded. It's wild. The... Uh, my mentor at defensive firearms training, Rudy Waldinger, um, you know, he, I could go into his background, but it's, it's amazing. I, he, he was the bodyguard that the movie bodyguard was made about. Like he was, he was one of, he was Nancy Reagan's bodyguard. He was, um, he worked for the state department. He was Austrian special forces. He was crazy. He was awesome. But he developed a shooting system called close quarters, high speed shooting. This was back in the early 2000s and uh, trained me up on it. And we started um, teaching foreign special forces, American special F operations units, um, CHP, California SWAT and Nevada SWAT teams up on this uh, close quarters high-speed shooting system. 
And lo and behold, uh, John Wick one comes out and we see our uh, techniques being used in the, in the film, uh, not our Ru techniques that Rudy developed that had eventually made it nationwide and become so popular that Taran Butler was using them at his school to train actors on films. And, you know, some, some of these techniques were just blatantly obvious that they had come, that they had come from Rudy. I mean, to me, they were blatantly obvious that these were Rudy's techniques. Nobody was doing these techniques prior to, uh, you know, Rudy. And, and it was, it was really cool seeing that. Wow. That is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, he was he was the first person I really that really pounded into not using your sights at close quarters. You know, mm -hmm. that 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 it was always speed and accuracy and distance was the distance was the culprit there. You know, you, you could be fat you, you could be faster. You needed to be faster if the distance was less. You needed to be more you, you had the time to be more accurate if the distance was greater. And so he was the first person I've, I've seen really get into close quarters, high speed shooting without using your sights. Um, and, and that's what you see John Wick doing throughout the movie. You know, back in the day, they used to teach us, you know, as you're drawing, you could actually shoot from the hip if you were pointed in properly. Well, there's a whole nother level to that if you're talking about close quarters uh, shooting. Anyways, I don't know why I went off on that tangent. No, that's all right, though. That's a, that's a good tangent because uh, that was, I was trained under that four-step process back in the early 90s. Yeah, uh, yeah. So on step two, you're, you're, you should you're be pointed. level. Yeah, and you should be able to start shooting. So Yeah. Yeah, definitely different. Well, Patrick, I appreciate the time, man. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed talking with you as well. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on and talk some more old school stuff. I'd love that. Awesome. Well, you have a great day and don't let the uh, the rain get you down. <laughs> All right, David. Thanks. You too. And thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for being on. <clears throat> All right. Take care. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.